if you're in COZAD, thank you so much for joining in there. If you're in the upper theater, in your lower theater, if you're online, uh, so glad that you've joined in with us as we wrap up this series that's really kind of been uh, what I would call an insider conversation. And so if you find yourself saying, well, I'm, I don't know that I'm an insider to the crossing, I, in fact, I don't even know that I'm really a church person, uh, maybe not a Jesus follower, not really into the Bible, um, I would just say, man, th this is actually a great morning for you to be here uh, because you can you know, kind of be and listen to an insider conversation. And maybe the reason, one of the reasons you're skeptical of the church is you feel like we're hiding something behind the curtain. And, uh, and so we're just kind of opening up the curtain and you get to look inside. So uh, this is a great chance for you to be able to do that. If you're new to the crossing or uh, if you're like just checking it out, wondering if this is the church you'd like to land in, um, this is a great uh, series for you to kind of plug into and, and really evaluate, man, is, can I get on board uh, with where they're going and what they want to do and how they want to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us? And those of you who have been a part of the crossing for a long time, we need to be sharpened. Uh, it doesn't take very long for us to kind of start going through the motions and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, think, ah, you know, I can, I can take some time off. And so it's good for us to be sharpened, and I hope that you have been uh, through this series. So if you haven't caught any of these messages, you could do that on uh, our YouTube page and hope that you uh, will do that. So today I want to talk about one dynamic of, of, of Jesus as we follow him that, uh, that kind of piggybacks off of a little bit what we talked about last week. In the last week, we talked about the fact that our, our mission's impossible. We can't make anybody um, actually meet Jesus or follow him or love him. We can't make anyone do that. And so how, how can we, um, you know, try to accomplish an impossible mission? And so last week, we talked about the fact that uh, what we can do and what is within our control to do is to create irresistible environments. And so that's something that we want to do at every level is create irresistible environments. And, uh, and, and there's one environment that, um, or I, I would say it's not really an environment, it's a dynamic, but it kind of piggybacks off this idea of something that's irresistible. And it's, and it's so strange. It's, it's, it's actually as we follow the one command that Jesus gave, and he kind of you know, took all of the, the laws and reduced it down to a couple and then reduced it to one. And the one is that I want you to love as I have loved you. And, uh, and, and as we do that, it brings attention. When, when you open up Scripture and you read through the Gospels, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you watch what Jesus does and you, you, know, you hear what he says, it, it's kind of like, man, I, there's part of you that's like, I really, I really love this guy, but there is, it's just like, Man, it's 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 messy. It's, it seems kind of strange, and and it actually is the reason why it threw so many of the religious leaders off. They did not see this coming, you know, at all. And and one of the reasons why they you know looked at him is like I don't think. And even John the Baptist was kind of thinking, is he who we thought he was? I'm I'm not sure. But but then you know as we watch, it actually creates a tension, and it's this tension that I want to talk about today, and, uh, and, and, and it's a tension that you're tempted to resolve, and those of you in COZAD, you're tempted to resolve, 
And every church is tempted to resolve this, but we lose something extremely powerful if we resolve it. So here's what Jesus said. I I want you to love as I have loved you. In fact, if you do so, this is how everyone will know that you are actually my disciples, that you are my followers. Everyone will know by the way that you love one another. And, and so it's kind of like, okay, so Jesus, what does that look like? And as we watch him, <laughs> this is what it looks like. It's messy. It, it's inconsistent. When you watch Jesus in the Gospels, it's like, well, that's kind of messy. And, well, that's, that seems kind of inconsistent. I mean, I fl- flip back a few chapters, and you're like, what? I mean, unfair. I mean, sometimes it just seemed like it was just downright unfair and certainly confusing. Like, what does, what does it look like to actually love like Jesus? Because there's a tension. And, and when, you know, we honestly look at it, you, you honestly have to say, yeah, there, there's, there's a tension. And and we are all tempted to resolve it, but attention that is tempting to resolve, but resolve it, and you lose something. We will lose something as a church. You lose, and we will lose the ability to love the way Jesus called us to love. John, he was one of the disciples, and, uh, and, and he lived to be an old man. Uh, Matthew, we believe, was burned at the stake pretty early on. Uh, Paul was beheaded by Nero. Um, Peter was crucified, but but uh, John he he lived he was exiled to to an island and and lived to be an old man. And when he was an old man, he wrote his gospel, and uh, and wrote the story of Jesus. And as he was kind of contemplating how do I how do I start this out, he just it's like how can I explain to my readers, to my audience, what Jesus was really like. I mean, it just seems so impossible. And so he, he starts his gospel with this powerful word picture. And, uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you can, if you have your paper Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 1. Um, if you have your Bible on your phone or, or other device, you can open it up. And, uh, and we're going to be uh, in John chapter 1 for a little bit here. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Did you follow all that? <laughs> like, come Oh, what? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So let me see if I can break this down for you. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning, and, and, the, and, the, and, and Jesus was with God in the beginning. And Jesus was God because Jesus was with God in the beginning. So check this out. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So if you want to know who created everything, it was Jesus. He's a creator of heaven and earth. 
In him was life. You know why? Because he's the author of life. That would make sense. I mean, you're going to find life. If you want to find life, you got to go to the author of life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. So when, when Jesus came into the world, he brought life with him because he was life. And, and the life that he brought brought a light into this world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is what you think about when you're 50 at 3 o'clock in the morning because you wake up every night and sit there and stare at the ceiling for a while. But darkness cannot create extra darkness to overcome the light. It's impossible. Light can overcome darkness, but darkness, it can't create a darker darkness to overtake the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Not only did Jesus bring a life, his life into this world as a light to show us the way, but then he invites us to carry that light as well, which is this mission that the church has been given. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize. This is so powerful. This, 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 this imagery is, is just amazing. So John's sitting back, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's like God, it's like Jesus was an artist, and he's, and he's painting all of these these subjects of his creation, and then he just decided he would just step into the painting that he actually painted. But the, the subjects in his painting didn't recognize him as the artist and threw him out. It's like Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth, and he stepped into his creation, and the creation didn't recognize him. That's what he's saying. It's just powerful imagery. He came to that which was his own. I mean, he created it, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to, to everyone who embraced, to everyone who put their faith in, to everyone that put their confidence in, and then he gets really specific, to those who believed in his name, not believed that there was a guy named Jesus, but put all their weight on put all their confidence in, believed in. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become part of the family, to become part of this amazing, forgiven, dysfunctional, strange family that needs a lot of light given to it. This family called the church. And then John gets really specific. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. And when he says we, he's not talking we, we. He's not talking like you, we. He's talking, you know, we like the disciples, the posse, you know, we, we have seen, personally seen, with our own eyes, his glory. 
The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And then he describes the best of his ability, Jesus, in a phrase. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And there it is. There's the tension. There's the tension that you and I want to resolve. There's the tension that, that churches want to resolve. In fact, some of you, you grew up in a grace church. And in fact, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, man, we just we could just get away with anything. We could kind of just we're just love, we're just love over here. Just love over here. We don't, I mean, we don't have to change a thing. And you're just good where you are. And and you know what? It's just, man, it's just full of full of love. In fact, you kind of wondered, kind of like, do we really stand for anything? Because I just kind of feel like I'm being validated to keep doing things I know I shouldn't do. Some of you grew up in a truth church, and your church was perfectly content to stand in the corner and just be right and throw truth bombs at the culture. Your church didn't have any intention to engage the culture. Your church didn't have any intention to actually say, hey, come our way. It was like, you're doing it wrong, and we have the truth, and we're going to tell you how you're doing it wrong, and if ever you figure out that you're not doing it, that you're not doing it right, and then you want to change how you're doing it and behave better and look better, and for crying out loud, get a haircut and dress a little bit better and clean yourself up, and then come our way, well, then you can be a part of us. Kind of like, hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the way, that, yeah, that's kind of how I grew up. See, churches want to resolve it. Churches want, you know, which one are we going to be? Because we can't be both, right? I mean, we can't, we can't be both. But, and some of you, you grew up in, in homes that were either all grace or all truth, right? I had a friend of mine that kind of grew up in, in a grace home, and she was like, I actually would do stuff intentionally to try and get my parents to discipline me, to actually show me that they loved me, but they just, they just couldn't do it. And it's just, just grace all the time. Some of you, you had a parent, and usually there's a parent that's a grace parent, and there's a parent that's a truth parent, right? And, and when you got in trouble, what parent did you want to see first? Oh, I want the grace parent when I get caught, right? Now, when you see your sibling doing something and you want to get your sibling in trouble, what parent do you go to? We're going to the truth parent. And that, and that I mean, we're going to run right straight to the truth parent. We want to get them in trouble. But here's Jesus. He wasn't the balance of truth and grace, he was the full embodiment of. And there was no tension in him. He was comfortable with both, all of both at the same time. 
crossing. If we are going to love as Jesus loved us, then to the best of our ability, and we're not always going to get it right, because we're not Jesus and we're not perfect, but to the best of our ability, when we can have both truth and both and, and grace together, I'm just telling you, there's something irresistible about it. There's something that's kind of like, mm, man, I feel so condemned and yet I feel so loved at the same time. I, I feel like, whew, that just pierced my heart and that was true and that hurt, but I feel like they're for me, not against me. See, when we can have both and we're comfortable with both, I'm just telling you, it's powerful. But there's something in us that's going to want to resolve it and be one or the other. Because see, truth says you're accountable. No, 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 you're accountable. Grace says you're forgiven. Grace says you're fine. Truth's like, no, you're not fine. You're broken. Truth says you really need to clean that up. Grace says, I love you, no matter what. And, and there's something in every church, and there's something in, in every Jesus follower that, that kind of wants to resolve it and be one or the other. And based on your temperament, you kind of lean one way or the other, don't you? But Jesus was comfortable with both, and there was no tension in him. John goes on, out of his fullness, this fullness of grace and truth, out of this fullness, not the balance of, but the fullness of, we have received grace in place of grace already given. This is a fancy way of saying we have been given grace upon grace upon grace, grace stacked on top of grace. And here's the thing. We aren't always going to get this right. To the best of our ability, we want to be full of both. But if we're going to make an error, if we're going to make an error, I would rather err on the side of grace. Do you know why? Because I think Jesus erred on the side of grace for me. But to the best of our ability, truth and grace the same time. So powerful. What he, he goes on, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Like, well, yeah, I, I, we watched that movie, right? And Moses comes off the mountain, he's got the law, and, and, uh, and, and, and the Jewish you know, law, they followed all of these 600 and some laws that were just, whew, like, wow. That was the old covenant. And then he says, but Jesus brought something else. And it's so interesting what he does in the Greek here. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, you would think he'd use the same phrase, right? I mean, if the law was given, then grace and truth was given. But he doesn't use that Greek word. He uses a different one. Grace and truth came. Grace and truth was born. Jesus came with grace and truth. He was the embodiment of it. He was in the embodiment of both. Jesus didn't give us grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. 
And it came through Jesus Christ. Not the balance between grace and truth, but the full measure of both. Let me see if I can give you some examples, and we'll kind of walk through uh, the New Testament together. Here's the woman at the well. Some of you are familiar with that story. I mean, um, not only is she uh, a woman, which in the first century, you know, you would not have, you know, a man at the well would not have interacted with a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman, and they were in Samaria. So Jews and Samaritans hated one another. They would not have anything to do with one another. And here's Jesus, not only in Samaria, in Samaria, talking to a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Like ultimate, ultimate, no, you just don't do that. And you want to talk about, in their view, different sets of values. Here's what, you know, the, the, the Jew in, in, in Samaria would have looked down like this because the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. And so, you know, that would have been, you know, how everyone would have considered this is how we interact with Samaritans. And so not only does Jesus have a conversation with this woman, but then he asks her, hey, you know, I'm thirsty. Would you be willing to, you know, lower your bucket and draw me some water, which she does. And they're having this conversation. And Jesus asks her where her husband is. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, you have spoken true. It's true what you say. In fact, you've had five. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. You have said it correctly. Okay, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's a little heavy on the truth. I mean, Jesus, did you, have to, did you have to go straight to the point of her ultimate pain? Did you have to go straight to the point of, of the center point of her shame? Did you have to point out the fact that she's just not very good with men and she's trying to extract something from them that she obviously isn't finding and will never find? I mean, why don't, why, why don't just leave it alone? Just leave her be, just go. And then Jesus does something with her that's just amazing. He reveals to her, she's the first person, that Jesus reveals that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. A Samaritan woman divorced five times, living with the next, which in our culture maybe isn't so strange anymore. In her culture, woo, ultimate no-no. And then he says something extraordinary to her. He says, this water that you're getting, see, you have to keep coming back here because it, it just keeps, you know, you just get thirsty and, and you get thirsty. I can give you living water that will satisfy your soul in a way a man never could. Truth, grace. Both powerful, amazing. You step away from either one of those, and you lose something extremely powerful. What about Matthew? Matthew's a tax collector. He's the worst of the worst of the worst. I mean, you hate tax collectors, <laughs> which we do, and uh, right? It's like, oh, I don't like tax collectors. 
Well, they really didn't like him because they were traitors. And, and, uh, and, and so Jesus has like half of his guys that he, you know, the 12, and, and he, they're following him. He walks up to Matthew's tax collector booth and invites Matthew to follow him, to which the other guys had been like, uh, no, I don't know. Jesus, do you have any, you're wanting to start a following. That's not really going to help. Do you, are, you con, are you condoning this type of tax gathering? Are you saying it's okay? I mean, by inviting this guy to follow you? I mean, do you have any idea, Jesus, what this is going to do with your reputation? <laughs> I mean, this, I, I don't think you want to go down. I mean, this is bad. Jesus is like, well, you think this is bad? You know, come on over tonight because we're going over to Matthew's house. He's you know, inviting all of his, you know, buddies over and, and we're going to have a party tonight. No, no. See, and what did all of the religious leader truth people think of that? And what did Jesus say? I have came to seek and save that which was lost. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. Truth and grace. And Matthew came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he wrote it in a gospel that we get to open up and read ourselves. What about the criminal on the cross? So interesting. They weren't just criminals, because if they were just criminals, they would have gotten some hard labor out of them. They would have used them for hard labor. They would have used them in the gallows to row boats. I mean, they would have gotten some use out of these guys, but these guys were so bad that the best thing that they could do for society was to crucify them. <laughs> That's how bad these guys were. And, uh, and so, you know, the guy's hanging next to Jesus. And so here's the guy who is the absolute worst person on the planet hanging next to the best person that's ever lived. And he says to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus... Jesus says to this guy, today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, well, time out, Jesus. Like four chapters ago, here's this rich guy who's asking you how to have eternal life, and you say to him, you need to sell all of your possessions and follow me. And here's, here's the worst of the worst, and I mean, he's like, no time left, and you're telling him today, he, you're going to, I mean, what has he done? I mean, how do you rededicate your life from the cross? You know, Jesus, from now on. I mean, from now on, or the next 20 minutes, what, what are you going to do? Right? I mean, nothing. See, it's so unfair. It seems so unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> Truth, grace, there it is. What about the woman caught in adultery? Here's a woman, they drag her up onto the temple court right next to the Holy of Holies and right next to the law, and then they try to trap Jesus and say, hey, we caught her in adultery. You know what the law says, which Jesus could have snapped back at them and said, yeah, but you also know what the Roman law says, which, you know, they couldn't have stoned her. And so, yeah, but, but he didn't. He's like, hey, you're right. That's what it says. I tell you what, why don't you just go stone yourself? In fact, those of you without sin, those, tell you what, guys, 
Those of you who have never, ever lusted after a woman, you go ahead and throw the first stone. You go first. You're right. To which they all turned around, dropped their stones, and walked off. And then Jesus turns to her, and he says, where are your accusers? And she's like, well, they've left. And Jesus says to her, I don't accuse you either. I don't condemn you. That's the part we know of the story. And then he says, leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin. To which we want to say, okay, Jesus, which one is it? Is it I don't condemn you or leave your life of sin? Which one is it? Yes. Yes. Well, did you have to bring up the sin? Yeah, yes. But I don't condemn you. See, there's a tension there. And we want to resolve it, and I guarantee you, churches resolve it. And they shouldn't. When they do, they lose something. And crossing, it's going to be tempting for us to want to resolve it. And you're going to see some things that seem kind of messy, and you're kind of like, shouldn't they say something? Shouldn't they do something? I mean, or that seems inconsistent, or that seems unfair. I mean, and, and I just want to let you know, to the best of our ability, to which we're not always going to get it right, we want to be full of grace and truth together. Because it's like Jesus. It's the way he loved. It's irresistible. And if you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, if you're ever confused by what he said, love one another, then watch what Jesus did. Watch how he loved one another. And those of you who you've been following Jesus for a long time, you forget, you and I, we forget how desperately in need of the gospel we are every day of our life. The longer you follow Jesus, there's, a, there's this temptation to kind of start drifting in this direction and drifting away from this. And we just need to tell, they just need the truth. Yeah, they, they do. But if you want them to have ears to hear. Hmm. See, great parents, great homes have both of these. Do you know what you call it when a group of liars, cheaters, divorced and remarried, living together, jealous, greedy, covetous, Lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, law-breaking, gossiping, and racist people who eat too much come together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light? Church. What you call that? See, we forget. We need more light. We need truth. We need the truth. We desperately need to know what's true. But come on. 
We desperately need grace, don't we? Crossing. Crossing. We dare not. We dare not lose truth. You dare not lose truth individually. We dare not lose truth as a church. Because sin has a gotcha. See, we will stand under the authority of this book. We will stand under the authority of the scripture. There are some churches and some denominations right now who have taken this and they used to be under, see it as authoritative to life and practice and they have basically just said, nope, not now. And they think by doing that, by getting rid of, well, we're not even really sure what's true anymore, by getting rid of this, somehow or another, the culture is going to come their way. We dare not, we dare not get rid of truth because sin has a gotcha. It comes prepackaged with a penalty. And Jesus loves people so much that he was willing to say things that were very difficult for them to hear. And we must be willing to do the same. But you dare not lose grace and we dare not as a church lose grace. Because sin has already gotten every single one of us. We're all in the same boat. Let's not pretend like we're not. Let's just let's not pretend like we're not sinners. And we need a way back. We need a way back. See, there's only one way to make it work. Grace and truth. And the church is at its best when it embraces both and refuses to let go of either one. So crossing, churches that lean in this direction, our reputation to them is that we're soft on the gospel. That's why people that you know, are unchurched and people that are far from, that's why they draw so many people soft on the gospel. I will take that reputation, even though we're not, because we don't shy away from telling people they're sinners and they need a savior. That's offensive, but that's just the truth. We also have the reputation of being a cult. I don't know exactly what that means. Exactly. I don't know if if it's this dynamic or what it is, but crossing, to the best of our ability, those of you that lean this direction, I hope this tension will make you have an approach that looks like this. Those of you who tend to kind of go in this direction, I hope this tension will actually make you have both. And may we as a church to the best of our ability, never let go of either one. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to hold on to this tension and and not resolve it. Jesus, you showed us how to love. You showed us what it looks like to have truth and grace together. So, Father, I pray that you would help us individually 
to embody that to the best of our ability, and I pray that you would help us corporately as a church. And, and Father, if we're going to err, I hope that we'll, just, we'll err on the side of grace, but we're not going to let go of truth. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live this way, and as we do, we will be able to engage the culture in an extraordinary way. I pray that you would help us to do that in 2023. Help us to be a great church. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.